Chronic Illness Therapist podcast. This is meant to be a place where people with chronic illnesses can come to feel heard, seen, and safe while listening to mental health therapists and other medical professionals talk about the realities of treating difficult conditions. This might be a new concept for you, one in which you never have to worry about someone inferring that it's all in your head. We dive deep into the human side of treating complex medical conditions and help you find professionals that leave you feeling hopeful for the future. I hope you love what you learn here, and please consider leaving a review or sharing this podcast with someone you love. Are just kind of looking to learn the basics of acceptance work. Um, what does it mean, and what skills can help you kind of lean into acceptance? You know, we talk a lot about acceptance on this podcast and what it is and what it isn't. So I won't repeat that all here. But if you'd like to sign up for this membership, um, I'm still kind of figuring out exactly what it's going to entail, but I know it will at least have videos, training videos, um, and a transcription with each video, uh, as well as like some worksheets when applicable. Uh, and eventually the goal is to have a community where you know people can chat with each other and kind of like a Facebook group, but I don't think it'll be on Facebook. I think it'll be um, on a different platform. So we will, I'll keep you updated on that. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about that as I learn more about it and exactly you know what it's going to be, um, then sign up for the email list and I'll, the link will be in the show notes. And yeah, I won't spam you with, with lots of emails, but just updates about what's going on in the membership and, and what it all entails. So thanks. Dr. Jenny Kington is a clinical psychologist who's been in private practice in Atlanta for over 12 years. While going through school, she trained mostly in university counseling centers, and after going into private practice in 2010, she focused on providing individual therapy and psychological assessment for ADHD, learning disorders, and autism. In more recent years, she's stopped doing psychological testing, and her therapy practice has focused on individuals going through major life events like chronic illness, trauma, and perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. In addition to individual therapy, she also provides diagnostic interviews with with veterans to help determine whether they meet criteria for pension benefits from the military due to mental health problems they experienced related to their military service. Hi, Dr. Jenny. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Um, So like I mentioned in the bio, Dr. Jenny is a clinical psychologist in Atlanta. Um, Is your office in Atlanta or is it in Gwinnett? Um, It's in Duluth. Duluth. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And you started working with clients. Um, actually, why don't I ask you to kind of tell us where you want to start as far as um, how you got started with working with chronic illness? And you can even talk generally about your own counseling, like trauma and perinatal mood and, and kind of how did that evolve into chronic illness? Sure. Um So I started working with clients in general in 2006, Um, but I was trained as a generalist in university counseling centers and kind of continued that um, till about 2016. Um, And then I started to get more interested in specializing and was diagnosed myself with chronic migraines in 2016 and started getting interested in specializing in chronic illness as a result of that. 
I, um, when I was diagnosed, I was in therapy at the time and had a great therapist, but it felt like, um, there were things that she just didn't totally understand in a sense of like, um, just what that experience was like. It's, you know, I think it takes an, uh, an element of medical knowledge and then also just like having gone through that of like, you know, experiencing medical gaslighting and, um, you know, just a lot of medical crap that you go through. And, um, and so I could imagine how it would feel really good to have a therapist who had been through something like that, um, no matter what your diagnosis was. And obviously like having chronic migraines doesn't qualify me to know what everyone's experience is like, you know, no matter what their diagnosis is. But um, I feel like it gives me some insight into just the medical system and what that experience is like in terms of searching for a diagnosis and going through multiple, multiple treatments that don't work and having to like keep going through that and keep trying to find something that works. Um, so yeah. I started specializing, um, well, I didn't start specializing right away because I actually had to take a medical leave <laughs> because I couldn't find a treatment that worked. Um, so I actually like wasn't working for a while. Um, but when I finally got on Botox and was like starting to get things under control, I, um, when I came back to work, I started to focus on, on treating chronic illness. And then I really, um, I'd always been interested in trauma. And then I started to realize that like a huge percentage of people with chronic illness also had trauma histories and that it really went hand in hand. Um, and so I, you know, furthered my training in trauma and got trained in EMDR. And, um, so kind of kept those, you know, going. Um, and then I, um, had my son, um, I had had my son in 2011 and, um, through that experience and knowing a lot of other moms and, you know, um, around that time and everything and knowing a lot of people that struggled with postpartum depression and anxiety and everything. I, um, I knew I also had an interest in that. And so I really, um, it, it kind of all ties together in the sense of like wanting to help people going through kind of major life events. It's like that transition of like, I used to feel like I had my life together <laughs> and then something happened and like everything has been turned upside down and, um, and now I'm here. So yeah, there's um, nothing like a chronic illness. Yeah. Or having a kid or both. <laughs> right. Right. To say, so, hey, every, the way you moved through the world no longer works. Mm -hmm, exactly. And so, um, so those are really my three areas that I focus on the most. Um, and then, you know, anxiety and depression and stuff, you know, all relationship problems, like all, you know, come along with all of that. Um, but those are really my my three areas. Um, and then I ended up 
you know, I had the chronic migraines and then nobody had looked at my neck for, I don't know why (laughs) it's the medical system. So, you know, um, no one has common sense, but, um, nobody had looked at my neck for like a few years after I was diagnosed. And then they finally looked at my neck and they were like, Oh, you have a bulging disc and you have these two things that are fused together that shouldn't be fused together. And that's probably contributing to your migraines. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, probably. And so now I, you know, get treatments for my neck and then, and then I got diagnosed with narcolepsy a year later. So <laughs> That is right. It was kind of like one thing after another, after another. Um, And so each time it was kind of that cycle of like, you know, uh, another thing and having to adjust to it and having to adjust to different medication and, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, Can we, we haven't talked about narcolepsy on the um, podcast yet. mm, I'm curious mm -hmm. if you can tell us a little bit about that and um, has anything improved with that? Does it stay the same? Till, yeah. What is that experience like for you? Yeah. So I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I don't have the cataplexy. I don't have the like falling down, like with a muscle weakness, um, which is always portrayed in the movies where people just like fall out, you know, and collapse. Um, so really it's excessive daytime sleepiness and, um, I've, you know, I went through a sleep study and then you, you have to go through a nighttime sleep study and then you go through a nap study during the day and they time how long it takes you to fall asleep, like just in the middle of the day, if you've had no caffeine and it was like 15 seconds, <laughs> like it was, wow. like, it's like way too fast, you know? Um, yeah. What is the, for someone who has extreme trouble sleeping and hears that and says, wow, that must be nice. Can you dispel that myth, please? Well, I'll tell you, people with narcolepsy have insomnia too. So I have horrible insomnia at night, which is like this horrible twist of, you know, it's like, it's like, this is this cruel joke of like, you know, at nighttime, I'm like wide awake. Like I you know, can't fall asleep at night, but during the day, you know, I'm like ready to go to sleep. So it's very weird, um, how that works. And, um, but I had, I had fallen asleep driving a couple of times and, um, and so, you know, it was like clearly like needed to get treatment. Cause obviously that's not safe. And, um, and, so they treat it. The medications are unpleasant. Um, they're like, they give them to people in the military to make them stay awake for like 48 hours straight. <laughs> it's like, it's, oh it's like these really intense medications and, and then it's just stimulants. So it's yeah. like Adderall or, you know, stuff like that. But, but it, um, the withdrawal from stuff like that, you know, and I, I don't know if I'm just really sensitive to it, but it coming off of Adderall and things makes me like super irritable and anxious. And, um, I finally found one really long acting one that I could tolerate. Um, so I, you know, I got to a place where I have a good combination of stuff and it's, you know, it's in a good place now, but finding it was 
unpleasant. <laughs> My boyfriend can attest to the fact that I was not the yeah. most pleasant person to deal with. Uh, I, I guess that leads me to my next question. Like, how did you get through those moments? What was your support system like or your coping yeah. mechanisms? Yeah, I mean, my boyfriend was a huge part of my support system because he was, it's hard, you know, it's hard to like evaluate that when you're in it and try to, you know, evaluate if it's working or if you know, am I just in a bad mood or like, is this the medication or what, you know? Um, but he could definitely tell like this, you know, seems like the medication. And, and when I talked to the doctor, they're like, yeah, this is like going through meth withdrawal. Like it's what you're experiencing. <laughs> so, so you would uh. be crank, you would be cranky, you know? Um, so, um, so, you know, he was a big part of it. And um, in terms of helping me evaluate what was working and what wasn't and, and what was tolerable. Um, and when it was time to be like, you know, this isn't gonna yeah. work. Um, so I'm hearing lots of compassion which we talk a lot about mm-hmm. excuse me on this on this podcast um and it sounds like you had the the experience of having a partner who was able to stay in that compassionate zone mm-hmm. yeah definitely for the most part and um and I've been in therapy throughout um you know I found um another therapist who had some experience with chronic illness. Um, and that was really helpful, um, you know, to have somebody who had some knowledge around that and, um, you know, could understand the, the medical component of what, you know, the things that were going on and, um, and just, you know, could be supportive in that way, um, which was a huge help. Yeah. Um, Then, yeah, the medical knowledge, I think, is what probably starts to separate. It's the starting point for what separates those of us who specialize in chronic illness, because it really is. It's like learning a different language. And if you don't know it, you might inherently make comments that are like, you know, well, your doctor said this, like, and then you try to have you you know, how, how can I help you just do what your doctor said? And it's like, right. that's not quite, that's not quite helpful. Um, when I have right. a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it goes a long way. Like <clears throat> I have a couple of chronic migraine clients who, you know, I know it goes a long way when they don't feel like they have to explain everything to me of like I started this new medication and like this is what it is and this is what it's for and this is what you know and it's like you know I know it goes a long way that I just know what they're talking about and they don't have to you know spend 10 minutes talking to me about you know yeah teaching you about it right right and you know it's I mean I think that's really helpful um for them definitely and I know on your um when when I was reading through your uh, 
interview form, we talked a little, you talked a little bit about dating and some hearing that your boyfriend was with you through some of, excuse me, what you're currently, or with your migraines. Um, but mm-hmm. can you talk to us a little bit about that dating phase and um, mm-hmm. were you sick when you were, before you were in a relationship and yeah, what was some of that like? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was married when I started. So if you want to talk about stress leading to the onset of chronic illness, <laughs> I my migraine started in May of 2016 and I moved out of my house in October to get divorced. So, you know, yeah, <laughs> you can make of that what you will. <laughs> um, and, um, and my ex-husband was not the most supportive um, around the migraines. Like he, and he wasn't like actively not supportive, but he just was kind of like I don't know just kind of annoyed by them Mm. (laughs) um as if they're some kind of choice yeah like it was kind of annoying to him that they existed um and um and I will say we have a much better relationship now and we have a son and um and he's always willing to like take my son if I'm sick and I need him to and you know like we do much better living separately (laughs) so um but yeah it was it was hard dating I think um and knowing like you know like knowing kind of when to tell people or when to um like you know, if you're on a date and you can feel one coming on and it's like, you know, not wanting to be like, I need to go home. <laughs> like, I feel sick, um, you know, and um, I think that can be really hard. And I know for my clients, it can be really hard of like when to disclose and how much to disclose and, um, and you know, not wanting to hide it from people but at the same time not wanting to like just come right out of of the gate with it at the same time um you know and I think it's I think it's a delicate balance um you know and I I always think of the I think it's a Brene Brown thing where she talks about like the marble jar and it's like you put one marble in with like something you're vulnerable about and they put one marble in and like you kind of keep going back and forth and it's like you know you kind of like work your way up to um that's true I haven't heard heard that one before like this like gradual like give and take process um that's right can you can you expand on that piece a little bit for clients Mm -hmm. who because this comes up a lot in therapy um Mm -hmm. dating chronic illness when to disclose and I like that example of the marbles because yeah really if if you think about it it really is it's like anything else that you're talking about but Mm -hmm. because it's such a big part of our lives um it feels it can be bigger, uh, but it, it also, I feel like, is just another vulnerable marble that you're putting into this relationship jar. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it depends on what the illness is, too. Like, I think 
because I think it's hard to make like a blanket statement about it because some people's you know you really can't hide from the beginning and so it's like it's right out there from the get-go and you know you're not going to be able to hide it um so you might as well just kind of lead with it and (laughs) like acknowledge the elephant in the room like it's right there um but I think for something like migraines it's you know something you can um wait a little bit and and share you know as they're sharing more personal stuff um and and not um I think people have a tendency to like see it as this really big deal when it's them and um like it's going to be this deal breaker and and oftentimes to the other person it's like they're kind of like okay (laughs) you know they often get this reaction from the other person that's just kind of like okay you know like that they don't have this huge reaction um and so you know waiting a little bit and not just busting out with it right away um I think totally makes sense Um, can we talk about maybe some of the fears that come up on you know on the 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 end of the person with the chronic illness you know like like to what you just said we we have it in our heads that it's going to be this big deal breaker and your experience with yourself with clients is this based on shame is this based on you know um improper or even proper perceptions of what it's like to live and what that means of the other person can we go into some of that yeah I mean I think it's based on shame I think it's based on the fear of being a burden I think um you know they don't want to um you know put the other person out and like trouble them um and you know, but a lot of it is stuff that they could either ask the person or that they need to trust that the other person will tell them if that's happening. And until the other person says something, like it's on the other person to say something. <laughs> like, right. you know, if they really are being a burden, that's on the other person to say like I don't want to do this um it's too much like you're asking too much um so there's some assumptions I think that we make like one it's going to be too much for them and two if we um if we don't get that out of them to say that they're just going to hide it like they're going to feel burdened and they're not going to even say anything and Mm -hmm. what are some other assumptions that come up for us yeah I mean I think people think it's gonna affect how the person feels about them um you know that they're not gonna care about them in the same way that they're you know um it's gonna change their feelings um and um just all kinds of things in terms of their the other person's perception of them and um and a lot of times I think if you ask the other person it's like it's it's not you know nothing it doesn't doesn't really change anything 
Um, what happens if, if let's say their assumption is right and it does change something? What, what um, is the, the way that you work with that uh, internally? What are some? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what it changes, but usually it's, it's not like a, it's not a disaster. It's, it, you know, it might change something in the sense of like, okay, they're not, you know, immortal. They're not, you know, like they're, they could potentially get sick. Like there's, you know, but it's something that would have changed eventually anyway. It's, you know, it's not anything that's catastrophic. Um, It's just kind of a, you know, a realization of like, this person isn't perfect. And, and oftentimes when I've worked with people, it's like, you're going to realize you're both not perfect. <laughs> like that realization is going to happen. Like at some point, maybe, you know, I don't know when, but like, it's, you know, it's on its way, like it's going to happen. Um, so it's, you know, it's just happening now, but, um, but yeah, you, you know, usually it seems to be something like that, that like, it's, you know, a, a perfectly normal realization that's, that's true. And, yeah. And not catastrophic. It's just, you know, a normal realization. I, I'm hearing that the the advice, I guess, is, you know, we are so focused on if somebody's going to like us or accept us. Really, when you start to accept yourself more and know that it's okay to have, it's okay to, I don't even know the right way to say it because I want to say it's okay to have imperfections, but that gives the mm-hmm. insinuation that, you know, we're imperfect because of whatever we're bringing to the table. But as you're saying, we're all imperfect. And um, mm. this is my stuff. You have your stuff. We're going to figure out we both have stuff. Um, right. So we just work on accepting ourselves and showing up to the table with that acceptance, knowing that if you don't accept, if the person across the table doesn't accept me, um, there would have been something else anyway in the relationship where it would have been a deal breaker. Like that isn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And, and I think, you know, just because one person has a chronic illness and that might be something they have to deal with, you know, the other person's going to have something like, just because they don't have a chronic illness doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with them. (laughs) You know, it's like, there's going to be something exactly going on with them. Um, They've got some kind of baggage. So, yes um it's might not be as obvious or something but it's still there so yeah I'm curious um if you want to talk a little bit more about the beginning stages of your health journey and that could be related still to dating or not um but kind of like what do you feel like you did right what do you feel like you would have done differently um yeah, yeah. um I feel like I did the best I could to find medical professionals to help me, (laughs) 
but I wish I had like somehow um it's like I don't think I could have but like I wish I had you know found different people because I had some really bad experiences um and I um I had a I had a guy at the shepherd center that I saw and I was like, it's the shepherd center. Like it's, you know, the shepherd center. It's amazing. Whatever. Who told me I didn't have migraines and he wasn't going to give me opiates. And that was our whole conversation. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I, and I, I want to even clarify, did you even ask for them or was that just like, no, out the game? that was yeah. just what he said, you know, yeah. and I was like, what are you talking about <laughs> oh my goodness and then I, that's and the reason why I even knew you that you probably didn't ask to begin with oh, is because yeah. I've had two clients tell me not from the shepherd center but from different doctors where that was right out the gate what they said and it's like dude I'm not even looking for pain meds like yeah can you just help me <laughs> and migraines are like classic because I've been to the ER so many times for migraines and like they it's like such a pill seeker because you can't test for it you can't you know like prove it and so it's such a drug seeker thing you know yeah so you just get treated like shit um and but the guy oh he was so weird and he um, he then gave me trigger point injections in my neck. And when I had side effects, my whole arm went numb and I called his office and the nurse said, he doesn't want to see you anymore. And just like fired me over the phone. <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> That's traumatic. So, like, so traumatic. You know, I had some experiences like that where I was just like, and I was doing what he, he wanted me to see the pain psychologist and do physical therapy. And I had signed up for that and I was like going. And so I was like, I don't know what else you wanted me to do. Oh my um, gosh. It sounds like an ego uh, thing, right? So he couldn't figure it out. So he completely. put the onus on you. Um, so just, you know, like, I don't know that I could have done anything better. Like I was trying to like go to the best place I knew of and like, you know. Um, I will say like, as far as that, cause I, I want to make for people listening, like, by the way, there is a, well, she, she works in the MS department, but um, there are some really great therapists at the Shepherd Center that I know. Yeah. Um, but even like I've heard stories about this from Emory, from Mayo Clinic. Um, and the reason why I'm, I guess, eliminating the names is because, like you said, you think it's like this big prestigious place. But the people working there are all are all just normal people who have their own shit, their own egos, mm -hmm. their own triggers, their own lack right. of education or education. Mm -hmm. And you can get really lucky going to your local ER finding some doctor right. who hasn't been burnt out yet and really gives you some solid advice and gets you help. And then I you mean, can go to a place like Shepherd or Mayo and that's what happened. Like I went and saw a neurologist who was good and, and her partner. And then I had to switch, I think because of insurance or something I had to switch. And then I got hooked up with my current neurologist who I adore 
who like when I first met him, he just sat down and was like, tell me your story. Like, tell me the whole thing. And like, he has worked with me for like years and that's amazing. Like gets me set up on Botox. He knows that Botox doesn't last me 12 weeks. It lasts me nine and a half weeks for whatever reason, (laughs) whatever mysterious reason that is insurance thinks it should last 12, but it's like, it doesn't for some reason. And Did he so help you get that approved? He like insurance? helped me like get that all like, you know, like wow. taken care of. And, um, you know, like he's amazing. And, um, and so it just, you know, it's like, I think the thing I did right is just like, keep going, <laughs> you know, like I just like kept looking and kept going and didn't just completely give up after like some bad experiences because yeah the beginning was was just bizarre and awful um you know and then I think of these people who don't have the resources and don't you know have the ability to keep looking and you know yeah it'd be awful um yeah can you tell me maybe a little bit about um what your typical clients look like in private practice um Mm -hmm. you know age and experiences what do you do you tend to gravitate towards one type of or not just one type but gravitate towards you know a general client um so I've got kind of a range I I see adults so like my youngest client's 22, but then, um, well, I guess I've got a 25 year old too. Um, so young adult to adult. Um, and then, um, they're all pretty, um, high achieving, like even my, you know, my chronic illness people are all pretty, um, high achieving, they push themselves pretty hard. A lot of what we work on is like, are you sure you should be working? It's eight o'clock at night. (laughs) Slow down. Yes. (laughs) Um, and so it really is like a big focus of our work is like boundary setting and, um, you know, them not wanting to, like use their chronic illness to like mm. you know get out of doing stuff you know and it's like it's not really getting out of stuff it's just you know acknowledging that like you need a break I know um, I right I've got some clients like that and the way that I explained it is like this symptom it's not necessarily a this conversation gets really tricky it's not that stress just inherently causes a chronic thing, pain, illness, disease, whatever it's, but it does exacerbate and, um, mm-hmm. it, stress kind of, if there's already a, think about like the weakest link and something, you know, think about an anchor and there is one link that's weak, right. um, and, and something crashes into that anchor, a large whale or whatever, that anchor might be incredibly strong and not break anywhere else except for that one link, which now everything is derailed from the anchor no longer can do its job. 
So Mm -hmm. stress is like the whale. And it's not that we want to fear stress, but we want to figure out why are we overworking? What is the the guilt or the shame or the, Mm -hmm. the things that are coming up around that? So yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the stress of, of wanting to do things perfectly and, and almost like overcompensating for the illness. I think a lot of times, like I have clients who have to miss work to go, you know, to doctor's appointments, to go get infusions, to go get, you know, procedures done. And so then they feel like they have to come back and like work, you know, double time to like make up for that. And it's like, you know, you have sick days. <laughs> That's what those are for. That's, you know, the point of them um, is to take them. Um, um, so, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of work around that and just perfectionism in general. Like I, I work with a lot of people around like, you know, adequate is like just fine, you know, like being adequate is like perfectly okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, You get your job done. um, You don't need to go like above and beyond and, and way, you know, way above what was asked for. And, um, so it's, it's a lot of that. And, um, but yeah, they, you know, and then, you know, chronic illness wise, I, I see a lot of, um, migraines and Crohn's and, um, gastroparesis and, um, what else? Um, diabetes and, um, different, um, kind of like arthritis and kind of pain, like, you know, fibromyalgia, um, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and um, especially in those stress really does, um, it it can really, even bring on a symptom again it's not that like the symptom wasn't lingering somewhere but that Mm. that high levels of stress really does just kind of Mm. illuminate it like fireworks yeah completely completely um and it just yeah you know we talk a lot about burnout and how you know how much that can just accentuate you know all those symptoms. Um, what are some of the fears that come up for people um, if they are going to s- try to stop working so much or overworking? What are some of the fears they have that keep them from doing that, that you then kind of help them work through? I get a lot of people who are afraid that like, if they let themselves rest, that they'll just like never stop you know and i'm i'm constantly telling people like you're not the type of person <laughs> like i i have no concern that like you're going to all of a sudden just like not do anything you know cuz they're like so far in the one direction of like constantly working that like if you give yourself a little slack you're not going to all of a sudden go way in the other direction and just become a couch potato that does nothing and you know never goes back to work um 
but that's a fear like that a lot of people have where it's like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself this little bit of slack and then I'm just gonna like stop <laughs> well it's gonna funny keep, completely stop working you know as you said that I'm like it's funny the fear of like if I rest I'll never stop resting but they're not scared of the fact that if I if I work I'm gonna keep working <laughs> and and when I say they I'm really I'm I fall in this category so please y'all take this with a, <laughs> with a lighthearted air about it I'm not I'm not chastising mm-hmm. anyone I definitely have um have to learn and relearn this all the time mm-hmm. I'll think you know oh I've learned I've learned the art of balance and rest right. and then there's just a little bit too much white space on my calendar and I'm like oh uh-huh. what can I fill it up with <laughs> well and and that's what I tell people all the time too is like it took me years to schedule like to do my schedule like as if I have migraines like I would, you know, it'd be, you know, I got them in 2016 and it would be 2020 and I'd be like, no, like I can do this, <laughs> like fill up my calendar. And even though like my head yeah. gets worse, the later in the day I go, I'd be like scheduling people at four and five and and my boyfriend, it would drive my boyfriend crazy because he'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And he's like, why are you scheduling yourself? Like you don't have migraines and I'm like well because I don't want to have migraines <laughs> you know, I know. like As I you're just wish this. I didn't have them and it's like you just keep doing it but I'm like it takes a long time to like sink in and be like oh okay like I actually have to like schedule as though and- you know my life is my life like no, yeah. that's such a good point. Like, I don't want to have them. So I live right. in a state of denial just... of like, maybe today I can. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Yes, when I was pregnant, I had migraines almost every day. And Ugh. there's nothing you can take. Um, that's awful. Safely when you're pregnant. Oh, I mean, there awful. are some. I tried a couple take different like things. Tylenol or something. but Which yeah, does nothing. Like nothing. Don't even try. <laughs> yeah, it does nothing. Um, that's terrible. That's the only time mine went away. Oh, yeah. I It was like a nice respite for me of like not having I hear that a bit. lot, like pregnancy <laughs> bringing those symptoms away. I did have other symptoms that went away yeah. during pregnancy. Um but yeah, I was still working like 50 hours a week and I was uh, private practice and agency and Oh my I don't gosh. know. I, then I, I mean, I took four months off though. Um, but okay. I think that's a part of the problem, right? We like, we work really hard and then we crash really hard. Um, mm-hmm. which is why I love now I'm just in private practice. Um, yeah. then I filled my time up with the podcast, <laughs> but, but it's, it's, good, it's much though. more on my own terms. Like I, I didn't yeah. post, uh, the Friday before new year's um i try to put i try to publish every two weeks and sometimes it goes every four weeks like it's happened two or three times yeah i just have to like be kind to myself and know let it go yeah yeah i mean uh doing agency and private practice has to be that had to be really hard and and being pregnant and and yeah, I moved because <laughs> I moved home, <laughs> and I got a puppy. 
Oh my god. <laughs> it was a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I will I, say I, like, oh, I knew when I was I was at UGA when I got pregnant. I was doing my postdoc when I got pregnant and they offered me a job. Like there was a job opening for a psychologist, you know, the next year. And but I was like, it's eight to six and I have to drive an hour to get here. And I was like, no, oh, no, no thank you. you. <laughs> just so I'm glad do you private practice. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm just going to go straight into private practice because yep. it was, oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause that's crazy. That's so that makes me think of um, some of the fears, the question earlier that I asked, like, what are the fears? And I think another one is like, well, if I don't take this opportunity, I'm never mm-hmm. going to get another one. And this opportunity says I have to work nine to six. And if I don't take it, what's going to happen? So yeah, it, it takes, you know, all the stuff that I talk about on this podcast, it takes a mix of hard work, luck, privilege, you know, um, as well as sometimes therapy or really good mentors, or mm. it's a lot of trial and error and learning and failing and then learning more and so really, I mean, the main skill we're trying to develop is being comfortable with challenge and continuing on in the face of challenges, because this whole thing is just a one big challenge. Completely. Yeah, it is. And, and sometimes it's easier than others. Like, I think it's harder for me to challenge myself now because I've gotten comfortable like it was easy for me to leave UGA because I was so used to being broke and a graduate student, you know, and my husband at the time was a graduate student. So we had no oh, money. Man. So I was like, well, I'll just start a private practice. That is, <laughs> I already I like don't that. have any money. I'm like, just <laughs> but like the idea of doing something like that now is like, oh my gosh, that's terrifying. Like, I can't do that. You know, it's like, I've got yes. an 11 year old and I'm like, I have a house and, you know, like I can't just, you know, do something like that now. But Absolutely. yeah, at the, at the time it was like, whatever, we're, we have no money. We'll just, you know, make this work. And um, So yeah, I think context is important too um absolutely definitely. I like that example it's like yeah, yeah it, fear right like just mm. moving past the fear realizing what you're able to do in your circumstances and it sounds ironic mm-hmm. but you were able to leave because you had no money yeah <laughs> not because yeah, you had, if you had no. more you'd be like no I can't lose right. this yeah I mean I wasn't really giving anything up I was just you know staying the same um just kind of I was used to it (laughs) didn't make much of a difference (laughs) yeah so I have two more questions before we go yeah sure um I want to know if you can give listeners a piece of work-life balance advice what would it be and then this might also be in the same question do you have your kind of go-to confidence boosters when you're feeling down or not enough Mm mm-hmm so I think work-life balance is kind of bullshit. <laughs> I love it. Because um, I just think it's like, I think when people talk about it, it's like this, I don't know, this. there's this like ideal 
picture in people's mind of like everything's in balance and like I'm working the perfect amount and I'm at home the perfect amount and everything's like wonderful and and I just um I think it sets up this um false idea that like everything can be in balance all at once and that you can like stay in that place I think you can have it for like a week <laughs> and then you'll lose it and then you'll get it back again and then you'll lose it again and you know um but I think it I think it is a matter of trying to just like figure out you know what a good amount of work is for you personally and trying to stick to that and realizing that like some weeks you're going to go over and you'll realize it because you'll feel it and adjust and you know some weeks you'll be under and that's fine and you know you can make adjustments as you go along but yeah I think it's people talk about it like it's this destination and it's like I don't <laughs> I've never gotten there <laughs> so I think it's you know it reminds me of the speech. It went pretty viral this past year. Um, and I'm trying to remember her name. I'll find, if you don't know who it is, I will find it and I'll put it in the show notes, but she talked about, she's a famous, um, she's famous. And she talked about work-life balance and how like, yeah, when I'm, you know, uh, doing this over here, my house is a mess. And when my house is a mess, you know, right. I mean, when my house is clean, I'm not doing so well at work. And when I'm a great mom, mm-hmm. I'm so it's, yeah. what are you willing to sacrifice at the time so that the thing that's most important to you at this phase in your life can get mm-hmm. done? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Cause something, you know, it's like you either need help with parts of it or like something's got to give it it just I think it's hard to have everything in balance and find that like magical place (laughs) yeah I think it's a myth unless you live with I mean as part of it is just our culture right we're very hyper independent but um when you live and there's there's problems that come with like more communal uh, ways of living too. But when you live mm-hmm. more communally or with your extended family right. and whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, grandma's yeah. cleaning the house every day and and right. dad is cooking every day and like you're out yeah. working and bringing money home for the groceries and yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, if I had a personal chef and housekeepers coming every day and you know, <laughs> all your work life balance I mean, would be great and be all set, but. <laughs> As it is, no one's volunteered to do that yet. So, <laughs> I love it. Haven't found it yet, but but I have gotten better at it, and I think that is the thing. Like, I think you can get better at it, and I think you can get close where it's not like completely out of whack. And I think for a long time I was like completely out of whack, mm-hmm. which was making me sicker. Um, so I do think there is like progress to be made um to where you can get you know decently close it's just not going to be perfect um but I think you can find a place where you're like you know getting getting there you're getting close um to where you're not like making yourself sick with stress um, right and that kind of thing so you get better your skills improve in different areas and then it doesn't take as much energy to maybe 
cook or clean or Mm -hmm. do this thing at work um, because you've learned how to be more efficient or decided what's important and what's not. Mm -hmm. Um, So then, yeah, you're able to feed yourself every day at a certain point and then you can focus your energy on learning to do something else. Right. With time and age, it does get easier. I can attest to that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. lastly, yeah. Do you have any go-to confidence boosters that you you kind of use when when either you or your clients are feeling down or, or not enough yeah so I was thinking about that because um I'm really bad at like cheering myself up <laughs> when I feel that way and so I was thinking about like what I do when I feel that way or like how I try to manage that um and I think um, there's a few things that I do. Um, I generally talk to the people that care a lot about me and try to get their feedback or their input because because um, if I'm feeling that way and I try to say stuff to myself, I generally am like, uh, you're full of shit. Like, I don't, I don't believe it, you know? So I'm just Mm -hmm. like, whatever, like, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I try to, um, you know, talk to my boyfriend, talk to my good friends, um, talk to my mom, talk to my son. Um, and, you know, ask them to tell me something nice about myself or, you know, something positive about myself or something they're proud of me for or um anything like that that like will help um kind of lift my mood and that seems to help clients too because I think I feel like um one of the downfalls of CBT is like you know, that whole argument, not argument, but that whole conversation you can have with clients where it's like, they'll be like, I'm a piece of crap. And you're like, what evidence do you have that you're a piece of crap? And they're like, I don't know, but I just feel like I'm a piece of crap. (laughs) And like, it just goes around in circles where it's like, you know, they can list evidence that they're not a piece of crap, but then they're like, well, I still feel that way. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, and so it's like, well, okay um that's why I was so drawn to acceptance and commitment therapy and mm-hmm. somatic experiencing um things like that because yeah you feel how you feel right? right like it just yeah it's it's you know they are where they are and so you know having them you know like why don't you ask for some feedback from other people like what they think of you um yeah. you know and and internalize um, the fact because it's in we heal in relationship right and so that seems to go a lot farther and and help a lot more and um and just gets them talking to another person about how they feel and yeah. you know like starting to have that conversation um so you know that's that's kind of my go-to, um, you know, for that and for 
yeah when I'm not feeling great um yeah yeah that's great um thank you for that I think those are really great things to think about and try to incorporate more into our lives um everyone who listens to this podcast knows I think relationships are the most important thing in our life Mm -hmm. um so any way that we can just connect in a way that helps us and it helps the other person you know it's reciprocal so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah anything else you want to leave listeners with today um I don't think so I think um I would just really encourage people to um to go to therapy if they have a chronic illness (laughs) I think it's it's really hard to deal with and um and I think it's one of those things that can be extremely isolating and um and it just you know therapy or group therapy for it um you know I think can be extremely helpful and um I don't know that people always associate it with going to therapy like I wish more physicians like kind of recommended that as like kind of an automatic thing you know um I feel like a lot of them even have stopped are scared to give mental health referrals because people you know have really spoken out about like you think it's in my head I don't need therapy right just educating doctors I think on like how to make that referral yeah but it's not like they're saying that it's just yeah Yeah. that people need the support and because yeah I mean I feel like it's it's just really helpful and because it's a hard road and I think it can be really helpful so yeah yeah well thank you so much oh yeah definitely definitely Um, it's a pleasure one more thing for the listeners um you you had mentioned group therapy so I do have a group currently running for people who are in Georgia um so if you are listening and you're Mm -hmm. you live in Georgia you're looking for a group environment feel free to email me destiny at destinywinters.com great If you learned something new today, consider writing it down in your phone notes or journal and make that new neural pathway light up. Better yet, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram, email me, or leave a voice memo for us to play on the next show. The way you summarize your takeaways can be the perfect little soundbite that someone else might need in order to better absorb the same lesson. Lastly, leaving a review really helps others find this podcast, so please do so if you found this episode helpful.